You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Cabbages and Condoms Sticking with the HIV-AIDS theme, one of the most remarkable stories of responsiveness comes out of Thailand. It makes the point that business responsiveness is not only the purview of large multinationals. The story is about the Population and Community Development Association, or PDA, and its founder and chairman, Mechai Viravaidya. PDA is one of Thailand's largest and most successful private non-profit development organizations, and among the many programs and projects it runs is the quirkily named Cabbages and Condoms Restaurant in Bangkok. This is a social enterprise dedicated to raising awareness on family planning and HIV-AIDS. One of the more creative and colorful ways they do this is by making all the decor for the restaurant including lampshades and so on, from condoms and contraceptive pills. Through PDA and his other activities, including serving as senator for the Thai government and chairman of some of Thailand's biggest companies, Viravaidya has played a pivotal role in Thailand's immensely successful family planning program. It saw one of the most rapid fertility declines in the modern era, The rate of annual population growth in Thailand declined from over 3% in 1974 to 0.6% in 2005, and the average number of children per family fell from 7 to under 2. Viravaija was also chief architect in building Thailand's comprehensive national HIV-AIDS prevention policy and program. This initiative is widely regarded as one of the most outstanding national efforts by any country in combating HIV-AIDS. By 2004, Thailand had experienced a 90% reduction in new HIV infections. In 2005, the World Bank reported that these preventative efforts helped save 7.7 million lives throughout the country and saved the government over $18 billion in treatment costs alone. As a result of his outstanding work, in 1999, Viravaija was appointed the UN AIDS ambassador. In 2010, as part of my CSR Quest world tour, I conducted an interview with Viravaija and was most intrigued by his answers. I started by asking him what demonstrable impact social enterprises can make to society's problems, using cabbages and condoms as an example. He replied that we originally referred to the cabbages and condoms restaurant as a business for social progress, which is commonly known as a social enterprise in the West. The profits from our restaurant directly benefit our NGO, the PDA. The impact has included uh, promotion of family planning in Thailand, HIV-AIDS prevention through condom usage, poverty alleviation and education in northeastern Thailand. The restaurant has been a successful social enterprise and we always encourage civil society leaders in Asia to set one up to help maintain financial sustainability, including with youth groups. So what then are the barriers to scaling up social enterprises like cabbages and condoms? 
According to Viravaja, the biggest hurdles to social enterprise are good ideas and funds for large-scale endeavors. It is best for new organizations looking at establishing a social enterprise to seek advice from the business community and to start small. Conscious of his extensive involvement in politics, I was curious on his view of government's role in enabling social enterprises to succeed. He said that this varies from country to country, whereas in the UK the government is quite active in its support, the Thai government currently plays no role in incentivizing social enterprise. What's more, Viravaja would like to keep it like that. The best thing, he says, is that they should kindly stay out of the way. So why use business as a vehicle for responding to the needs of society? Why not just create a charity? According to Viravaja, we need to ensure that our poverty eradication and education initiatives performed under the NGO have long-term sustainability so that we're not entirely dependent on outside donations. The social enterprises we have established, he explained, have earned approximately $150 million over 25 years and fund approximately 70% of our development endeavours. We would not have been able to accomplish half as much as we have without our social enterprises. How not to do engagement. Of course, not every company is as responsive as GSK, Anglo-American or Cabbages and Condoms, and we can learn as much from the mistakes of others as from those shining success stories. McDonald's, for example, is a classic case study in how damaging and costly it can be to learn the lesson of responsiveness the hard way. In 1986, a British environmental campaign group called the London Greenpeace Group published a six-page leaflet called What's Wrong with McDonald's? Everything They Don't Want You to Know. The leaflet contained accusations of McDonald's complicity in starvation in the third world, rainforest destruction, negative health impacts, including food poisoning, heart disease and cancer, exploitation of children through advertising, torture and murder of animals, anti-union behavior and poor employee working conditions. As a result, in 1990, five members of the group were issued a writ by McDonald's for publishing and distributing the leaflet, of which two, Helen Steele and Dave Morris, went to trial in June 1994. The resulting 313-day trial, also known as McLibel, became the longest ever in British legal history and ended in June 1997, having heard 180 witnesses and reviewed 40,000 pages of documents and witness statements. The verdict was mixed. Some of the allegations about McDonald's business practices were upheld, but Steele and Morris were found guilty of having libeled the company and were ordered to pay £60,000 in damages. Steele and Morris refused to pay the damages, which were reduced on appeal to £40,000 in 1999, And in 2000, they took their case to the European Court of Justice in Strasbourg, alleging that the original trial breached their human rights to a fair trial and freedom of expression. In February 2005, the Strasbourg Court judged in their favour and awarded compensation. According to Jerry McCuster, 
author of Tailspin Public Relations Disasters, the trial cost McDonald's more than £10 million in legal fees. In 2003, McDonald's faced its next responsiveness challenge. In February of that year, Morgan Spurlock decided to make a documentary film following his 30-day experiment, during which he ate food and items purchased exclusively from McDonald's. Among his rules was that if the customer service representative asked if he wanted something in a larger size, he had to agree. Hence the title of the film became Super Size Me, which was nominated for an Academy Award in 2004. Over the 30 days, Spurlock consumed an average of 5,000 kilocalories, or the equivalent of more than nine Big Macs every day. He gained 24 pounds, or 11 kilograms, a 13% body mass increase, and his body mass index rose from 23.2, within a healthy range of 19 to 25, to 27 which is classified as overweight. He also experienced mood swings, sexual dysfunction, and liver damage. It took Spurlock 14 months to lose the weight he gained. Although McDonald's may never admit to the film's direct impact on their reputation or sales, they seem to have learned their lesson in responsiveness. Instead of suing the pants off of Spurlock, in 2005, McDonald's announced a balanced lifestyles initiative, which involves offering healthier menus, promoting physical activity, and providing more nutritional information to customers about its products. Without a doubt, they've gotten savvier about playing the strategic CSR game and making continuous improvements in an age of management mode. However, it remains an open question whether McDonald's, and indeed the entire fast food industry, as detailed in Eric Schloss's Fast Food Nation, can make the transition to systemic CSR in an age of responsibility. Cross-sector partnerships If McDonald's historical reactions to stakeholders are an example of how not to do engagement, then cross-sector partnerships are increasingly being seen as the more progressive and constructive alternative. They were given a strong boost at the World Summit on Sustainable Development in Johannesburg in 2002, and today 78% of CEOs believe that companies should engage in collaboration with a variety of stakeholders to address sustainability issues. That's according to a 2010 survey by the United Nations Global Compact and Accenture. But we should acknowledge that partnerships are not a straightforward option. There can be issues of accountability and power imbalance where unelected corporations and NGOs have influence in states where governments are weak or failing. And even where they are the best solution, there can be real obstacles in both the development and management of partnerships, which are too easily ignored. In 2007, I collaborated in some research with the University of Cambridge Programme for Sustainability Leadership, which analysed the experiences of participants in their postgraduate certificate on cross-sector partnerships. This ran over a period of seven years. And we found that the critical success factors for partnerships included mutual commitment by the partners, adequate resources, and a clear partnership agreement. 
Conversely, the greatest barriers were differences in expectations between the partners, power imbalances and communication problems. One of the findings that stunned us was the lack of consultation with the intended beneficiaries of the partners. For example, engagement of beneficiaries and stakeholders only ranked joint fifth in the questionnaire results out of eight success factors. Also, although 22 out of the 25 partnerships that responded had carried out a consultation exercise, at least 11 of these had not included the intended beneficiaries. This has serious implications for responsiveness. Companies, governments and civil society organisations that purport to be acting on behalf of certain vulnerable groups or causes cannot claim to be responsive if they are not even asking those they are trying to help what their real needs are. After exploring the experiences of these partnership practitioners, we concluded that if we are relying on partnerships to bring about structural change and long-term development impacts, then they need to be firmly tied into genuinely inclusive consultation processes, as well as to operate within accountability frameworks and be properly supported and evaluated, and where appropriate, to lead ultimately to positive policy change. Despite these challenges of cross-sector partnerships, there are undoubtedly a key CSR 2.0 responsiveness strategy, and there are many successful and inspiring examples. Take Unilever's partnership with the FDI World Dental Federation, for instance. In a world where 50% of the global population don't brush their teeth, there are huge opportunities to promote good oral health. The partnership supports more than 40 oral health improvement programs in 37 countries around the world. Unilever's oral care category also supports dental research throughout its partnership with the International Association of Dental Research that has spanned 25 years. Another example is the CSR Business-Led Coalition, AED, in Costa Rica, which is partnering with the government and the National Teachers Syndicate on Education. Specifically, they have developed an information system for public schools that has reduced the administrative burden of teachers by between 30 and 50 hours per month, giving the teachers more time to spend with the children. According to Olga Salma, Director of Business Development for AED, the project is also allowing the school system to get more information and cross variables to figure out exactly what the problems within the education system are and how they can develop public policy in order to address these issues. Cross-sector partnerships can also be a strategy for scalability. For example, in 2009, HSBC launched their EcoSchools Climate Initiative in partnership with the Foundation for Environmental Education. This is a three-year project involving a 1,000 HSBC staff volunteers in 10 countries and reaching an estimated 1.2 million young people aged 5 to 18. The aim of the programme is to inspire action on climate change by inspiring schools' environmental efficiency. Similarly, 7th Generation, the company, has partnered with Kaplan Eduneering to set up the Sustainability Institute, which is an online learning program designed to teach the strategic integration of sustainability to thousands of businesses and their millions of employees.